0: what's up guys welcome into dog central on a sunday evening i'm graham coffee this is the dog central youtube channel uh you can find us on dogcentral.com for all the in-depth uh georgia analysis and intel that you could possibly want uh, busy show for you guys tonight i am fresh back from sec media days in nashville uh Also, uh, fresh back from the front lines of a a very, very large Twitter war with uh, (laughs) uh, Fall Nation out there. Uh, So shout out to any of you guys who maybe hate watching us this evening. We appreciate your views. Um, Yeah, lots to get into. So we're going to get into it. First and foremost, uh, I want to talk about SEC Media Days um from the Georgia perspective, right? So it's kind of an interesting build up to Kirby Smart coming into Nashville on Tuesday. I think a lot of people were curious to see um, you know, what kind of questions was he gonna get? That was a lot of the discussion sort of around the building at the Grand Hyatt and uh night before, uh, went out with some, some media folks and kind of everyone was sort of speculating, like, you know, uh, lots of off season headlines that have maybe not been the friendliest for Georgia. And so, you know, how, how many questions was he going to get asked in his, uh, main stage appearance or just throughout the day? Um, Kirby and Georgia, you know, uh, Basically, when when the schools come to SEC Media Days, like they kind of have the option to. Everyone has to appear on the main stage, but they have the option to appear on whatever radio shows they do or don't want to go on. Um, And you know, the the radio shows kind of set that up with uh, with Claude Felton, Georgia's sports information director. Um, Georgia had a very busy day. Like they they did not duck uh, seeing anybody. You know, they they went and talked. And interviewed with lots of folks that they didn't necessarily have to. Um, I was just very struck by the fact uh, that you know Kirby Smart is really good at this, and and I've kind of I've I've made the argument in the past that um, Kirby Smart understands better than most how we consume college football today, how the modern PR, or I'm sorry, the, the modern kind of media cycle works with this sport and the way that Twitter works and the way that recruiting momentum is, uh, you know, so fickle in terms of, Hey, you might have a big run of, of prospects committing. And then all of a sudden uh, some, some guy flips out of your class to Ohio state or Alabama or Florida or wherever it might be. And everyone on the internet's like, oh, you know, this program owns that program. And that's not how the real world works. That's not how college football actually works. But that is how a lot of you, a lot of people consume the sport right now. So um, it'd be silly to act like that's not what's happening. And I think just in life in general, uh, you know, like – When I was writing my notes from SEC Media Days, I I, one thing that I wrote down looking back was uh, that Kirby Smart kind of practiced the law of attraction at Media Days in the sense of, like, whatever you put out is going to be reflected back to you. And he strolled into Nashville like he didn't have anything to hide. And that's because he didn't have anything to hide. Georgia doesn't have anything to hide, Um, you know, especially – uh, now knowing what we know about the AJC's reporting and the, the problems with that, like Georgia came in like they haven't been, you know, getting hammered on national podcasts for the last six months. Like they, they rolled in like all as well. And, you know, uh, Kirby didn't, I like, you know, I, I don't think he skirted responsibility. Um, he was asked about the driving situations and you know I I think like he has taken responsibility for that plenty of times now so I, I don't think that's a question that really needs to be asked but I think you know with with Georgia it was really fascinating how Kirby just owned that that room you know all the coaches come up on the main stage and there's a couple hundred reporters sitting in attendance and you know, there's, there's not a sports information director. That's kind of like picking and choosing who's going to ask questions. Um, You know, anyone basically can ask a question at sec media days. There's a lot of people that, that can ask questions. And I think for some coaches that can be kind of nerve wracking, uh, especially if they've had some, some recent bad headlines, but Kirby rolled in there and just seemed so relaxed and, and, Used the podium to get his message across to his team better than I think any coach that we saw all week. And, you know, I, I ended up writing an article that uh, I guess some maybe find somewhat controversial, although if you actually read it, it's not. Um, and I talked about how Kirby Smart has basically taken the Nick Saban process message and he's found a way to keep it fresh. He has found a way to talk about doing the little things focusing on, you know, this practice period right now today in, you know, in March or April or in late July and August in fall camp and not worrying about trying to go 15 and zero again and three peating. And, and uh, the way that, you know, Georgia went on to a, a six week uh, study as a team of the New Zealand, all blacks and, really looked into organizations with sustained success. And I think what was kind of jarring for me is that um, Nick Saban is the undoubtedly the most accomplished college football coach of all time. He's done this for a very, very long time. When he came to the podium on Wednesday, his message felt a little bit scattered. It did. And you know, it was, it was interesting hearing him talk about going to Italy on vacation because it looked like he enjoyed himself and had a nice time that, uh, that, that almost bothered him on some level. Like, you know, maybe the, there was a slight realization of like, oh, you know, I could be off doing this with my wife and, you know, really, really living this nice, enjoyable life and chilling out, having a good time. Right. So, I thought that was, that was kind of fascinating to watch. And when Alabama came to town, you know, it was like Saban basically said, one of his quotes was we want to stay focused on the process of what we need to do to play winning football at every position. And I'm not here to create expectations for our team. Lots of people will do that, but expectations in some way are a premeditated way to create disappointment. I think you can look at it in your life and that's why I say we need to, to stay process-oriented, not focused on the outcome, but focused on the things that we need to do to get the outcome that we want. Him and Kirby Smart are trying to deliver the same message. Like The tenets of what they're saying are underlying it all. It's, it's the same thing they're trying to get out of their team, but Kirby Smart seemed to find a much more interesting way to deliver that message, talking about better never rest in the New Zealand all blacks. And then, you know, when we had a chance to interview Cedric Van Praan, he's talking about how, uh, you know, one of the things that the all blacks do is uh, they have one of their mottos is sweep the floors and how Georgia's offensive line, they, they clean their own uh, meeting rooms and locker rooms, literally sweeping the floors. And I saw people try to ask Georgia players about, certain opponents or, you know, different things that are, that are coming up in 2023 and they just were really, really good at deferring to, we treat everything the same. And, you know, we're, we're worried about the here and now, and we're going to do what we need to do in this moment to, to maybe try to get to that moment later, but just not setting any sort of uh, you know, trap for themselves or putting any of that kind of reverse rat poison out there where another team is going to look at it and find a way to get motivated. And what that reminded me a lot of, it was like, you know, Alabama circa mid 2010s. Right. And, and then Alabama comes to town and, and, you know, Nick Saban gets on the podium and he says what he always says about, being a process oriented group, but you look at what's going on at Alabama over the last, you know, 12 months, right? Like Will Anderson admits that their defense was in a place of anxiety prior to the Tennessee game. Like that is so far on the opposite end of spectrum of being focused on, you know, process oriented, and not worried about outcomes that it's, it, it was jarring to hear from an Alabama football player. Uh, you, you see JC Latham come to Nashville and, you know, he, he gets asked about like, what would it be like for you guys if, if you're not uh, selected to be the, the preseason favorite in the SEC West by the media and, you know, talked about how they felt they were, disrespected and talked about how you know they are like pissed off and and it's like well you know just because you wanted didn't win a national championship doesn't mean that you were disrespected disrespected but he said like understanding this group i know we're going to win it all national national championship undefeated joe moore award i want that also and i i think that it's just very very different than what we're used to Uh, you know, another one of Latham's quotes was, I know we are going to go out there, compete, dominate, and do what we have to do to win. And I know we're going to win it all and go undefeated. Whatever anybody outside of your family says essentially isn't what matters. Maybe they are, maybe they are going to do that, but getting up there and saying that at sec media days, for me it kind of felt like the media days equivalent of the 2015 Georgia Alabama game and the rain where Georgia's players got all uh, up in Alabama's tunnel when they were coming out on the field and you know they were barking and creating a bunch of fake juice and then they went and got their butts kicked it, it feels like the the same kind of vibe of you know this, Team is gonna say a lot of big things, but at the end of the day, it doesn't feel like Saban has them in the headspace that he used to be able to keep them in. And times have changed. You know, he's been there for 16 years, he is undoubtedly the greatest coach in college football history, but it feels like Kirby Smart is doing a better job of delivering the Nick Saban message right now than Nick Saban is and it feels like Kirby Smart took the Nick Saban blueprint, and he's kind of fixed the couple flaws in the system. Uh, you know, Saban's out here trying to replace two coordinators after one of the worst seasons uh, that he's had at Alabama, and Kirby Smart gets on the podium and talks about every every coach on our staff this year. Every full time coach was was part of our staff last year and how they have 26 Georgia grads on their staff and talking about the retention in their staff and talking about 17 of 20 uh, COVID players from that COVID recruiting class have stayed at Georgia and, and Georgia is doing not just a good job of recruiting like athletic freaks right now, but they're doing a good job of recruiting guys that are Georgia guys, guys that are, Gonna come in and work, and they're gonna buy in, and and they're gonna listen to this process-oriented ethos that Kirby Smart is trying to preach. And it feels like Alabama's in a spot now where they've gotten a little bit behind the eight ball, and so they're trying to take some shortcuts to catch up. And they're trying to, you know, they're like, the more the time goes on, it feels less like Jermaine Burton you know, chose to leave Georgia for a better situation and more like Jermaine Burton didn't fit in at Georgia. Right. It feels more and more like, uh, some of these guys that Alabama has brought in, it's like, they're, they're very talented, but they're not the same dudes that Alabama had five, seven, 10 years ago that are just killers. And, and maybe that changes this year, right? Like I want to be clear that Alabama has enough talent on its roster that at any time they can catch lightning in a bottle and they can go win a national title. But right now when you just talk about, you know, this is talking season, right? So I'm going to talk, but when you talk about sec media days and you talk about what you want to see from a program and the mentality of the players and Does it seem like these guys are bought in? We're only looking at three players from each team, right? Like these, these teams that come in, like they're, they should be kind of basically bringing like the, the guys that are going to be the best example of program culture. And Alabama brought a guy that got up and guaranteed a national championship. And Georgia doesn't play Alabama this year in the regular season, right? They might not play him at all, but, it just feels like a very un-Alabama move to give that bulletin board material to every team you're going to play. So, um, yeah, it kind of surprised me to see that. Uh, what's up, Harry? Glad you jumped in here. Um, see a lot of you guys active in the chat. Sacred Grove, Dogfather, Mike, Rhett, thank you guys for being here. Um, so, uh, if you guys have any questions about SEC media days in particular, uh, throw them in the chat and I will try to get to them. Um, now that I've kind of, you know, talked about uh, the Georgia Alabama side of things, I do want to say uh, the, the one, one last thing I'll say about SEC media days that was kind of fascinating to me was we heard Cedric Van Pran talk about the sweeping on the floors mantra of the New Zealand All Blacks and Georgia adopting that in their pursuit of continued excellence and perfection. And then we, uh, you know, we're. I was kind of sitting around at one point uh, in a corner of, of one of the, the meeting rooms uh, up there in Nashville at the Hyatt, and the SEC people were shuttling players back and forth to Their next media engagements, and a tournament player was walking by and stopped, you know, in the middle of kind of this. It wasn't like he wasn't in the middle of a bunch of people, but he was just kind of in the middle of passing through. And he stopped all of a sudden, and the SC media people looked kind of like surprised, like, why is this guy stopping? And he bent down and uh, picked up a piece of trash off the floor. And it was, you know, it was kind of interesting to see. A Georgia player literally sweeping the floors after we had, uh, you know, had just kind of heard Van Pran talking about it. To me, it was like a, a good real life example of this message is landing. So, um, we'll see, right? Like it doesn't mean Georgia's, you know, it doesn't mean anything really, uh, but it is maybe somewhat informative of, of just kind of where the headspace is. Right. Um, Will asked what coach impressed me the most. Uh, I would say probably Kirby, honestly, like just the way that he was able to command the room and, um, you know, kind of handle, just handle maybe the pressure of that moment, but really the way he uses the the podium to get the message he wants to get across to his players, across to his players. Um, aside from that, from an impressive standpoint uh, I mean I you know it, it depends on what criteria you're you're kind of talking about um, I did kind of like uh, you know I mean Sam Pittman's fun he's enjoyable I don't know if impressive is maybe like the best um, adjective for it but uh, I thought that he does a good job of keeping people engaged. And, uh, you know, I think he does a good job of representing that school and that program well. Secret Grove asks, do you think Carson Beck will have a Mac Jones, Kyle Trask kind of year, first year starting, but will look like a vet type season? I don't know that he'll have, I don't think he'll have the raw numbers of those two, but um, the more and more that I I'm hearing from sources and people around the Georgia program about what Carson Beck uh has been up to this offseason and I think the more and more I am buying stock in Carson Beck having a very good 2023. Uh I think the questions on Carson Beck were never arm talent or, you know, physical talent. I think it was always about like him being a consistent leader who shows up every single day in the same way and him being vocal and, you know, I I think ever since the end of the 2022 season, he has stepped up his work habits in a very real way. And from what I can, am hearing, you know, that this off season seven on seven type work, like Beck has gotten into a very good, confident groove with Georgia's top flight of receivers. He is, You know, telling those guys how he wants them to run certain routes, and you know where where they need to be and where they need to be looking for the ball. And uh, I think maybe most importantly, he's he's been organizing a lot of uh, those kind of throwing sessions and um, off-season activity workout type things. So those are the things you want to hear about the guy coming into the season. Um, I am very curious what Georgia's offensive philosophy is going to look like this year i think that there is you know you lost darnell washington i asked kirby smart about this at sec media days i asked like is the the 12 13 personnel stuff is that philosophically part of who georgia is now or you know is is georgia a program that is about like you know something like what, what is it, you know, is, is this part of your DNA? And his answer was pretty simple that we're going to try and get the 11 best players on the field, even if that's seven wide receivers. So I think we will see, um, you know, a little bit of uh, I I don't know what we'll see. Honestly, I, I think I like, I, I think that Lawson lucky is that dude. So I think there's a good chance that we still see a lot of those 12 personnel sets. Um, But I also have talked to people who feel better about Georgia's group of outside receivers than they have at maybe any point in time in Kirby smarts uh, tenure in Athens. So I think there is a chance that we see a good number of, uh, you know, kind of plays where, Maybe you just have Bowers on the field, and, and there's more more wide receivers. I don't think Georgia's trying to get too spread out because physicality is part of their it's part of their plan, it's part of their DNA, it's part of who they want to be. But um, I do think there is a chance that Carson Beck has a very big season, is very accurate, um, but that he's almost too good to put up huge numbers because Georgia's just going to blow out a lot of teams on their schedule and he's not going to play very many fourth quarters or even some, you know, some of, there might be some games where he doesn't play at all in the last 20 minutes. So we'll see. Um, Does Dylan Bell play any of this? Yeah. Dylan Bell is going to play a lot this year. Um, Dylan Bell is going to push for starter level snaps at the X receiver spot. I agree with this uh, take from Harry. I think Kirby uses the games versus lesser foes to experiment and see just what this team is best at executing. Yeah, he absolutely does. Um, There's been a lot of games over the last two years where uh, Georgia is not necessarily always trying to call the very best play they can call in that moment. Part of that is, you know, you want to save some of your red zone plays and things like that for better teams further down the road in the season, but there's also games where I think Georgia comes in and says specifically, like we want to work on, you know, physically running the ball today, even if there are eight men in the box. So I think, think you see that a lot. Yeah. All right. So we're going to get to this Uh, green soldier says coffee has Tennessee fans in a frenzy uh, and it's hilarious. That is correct. Um, if, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you've probably seen like I've, I've been in the, the trenches uh, with the, the Tennessee fans and all of this started because I made a comment on Tennessee's recruiting that I stand by, um, which was that, you know, I think Tennessee's up to the number seven or eight class in the 2024 cycle um, at this point. And I made a comment that I'll start really, you know, paying attention to Tennessee's recruiting or kind of giving them kudos for that recruiting when I see them start to sign some elite line of scrimmage prospects. Uh, Very good skill players are a dime a dozen in this world. And I think that, you know, Tennessee – The issues with Tennessee have nothing to do with getting wide receivers open. Mike Matthews, very good player, five-star player, uh, not arguing with his eval, but Mike Matthews looks like a lot of dudes that Tennessee either, you know, has already had on their roster over the past season or two with Heupel or already has on their roster right now. He's big, he's long, and he runs fast in straight lines. Okay. Um, you look at Tennessee's 2024 recruiting class. They've got 18 commits. Uh, if I get down to the seventh or eighth highest ranked player in the class, I see the first offensive lineman, Max Anderson, offensive tackle. Uh, number 218, national prospect, uh, 12th ranked offensive tackle, 40th ranked player in the state of Texas. Pretty nice player. Yeah, Like I, th- I think that's that's pretty good. Uh, and then they've got an inside offensive lineman named William Satterwhite, who is not ranked nationally at all. Uh, they got some some linebackers, uh, Spillman kid, who I think they were very excited about pulling from Ohio State. He is a four-star recruit, not nationally ranked, twenty-eighth linebacker in the cycle. Um, and then I get all the way down here to a three-star named Kellen Lindstrom from Springfield, Missouri, before I find the first defensive lineman in the class, or the highest-ranked defensive lineman in the class is what I should say. Uh, Then they got another guy named Carson Gentle, who is the 103rd-ranked defensive lineman in the 2024 cycle from the Macaulay School in Chattanooga. And then they got another offensive tackle named Jesse Perry from Murfreesboro – Tennessee, middle Tennessee Christian school, 6'5", 278, 126th offensive tackle in the class. So um, do I think that this recruiting class does anything to change Tennessee's like outlook as a program? No, not as it currently sits. Uh, Even if they sign, and they're not going to, but even if they went and signed Ryan Wingo and Jeremiah Smith uh, and, you know, if they signed a trio of five-star wide receivers, they wouldn't change my opinion of Tennessee football. And that upsets people. And I'll tell you why I feel that way. I feel that way because the issues with Tennessee have nothing to do with getting guys open. Okay. And since I started sharing takes on this, I have had numerous, numerous, none of them. I want to be clear that none of them work for Georgia, but I've had numerous, player personnel folks from across college football jump into my DMS to tell me that I, you know, that, that they at least agree with my take on this. And my take on this is that Tennessee's system that they're running under Heupel has a built-in ceiling to it. Okay. It, you cannot do what they are doing with the tempo that they are trying to do it at and beat the the top of the top. I know they beat Alabama last year. Alabama last year wasn't a very good football team, first of all. Second of all, uh, you know, they took, like, 17 penalties and a I think a plus three or plus two turnover margin for Tennessee to do it. Um, and they did it on a last-second field goal. And the same guy on Alabama's defense gave up five touchdown passes. Okay? So, I think that, you know, that is something – that is worth pointing out in this conversation. Like I'll I'll put it this way. I will be so bold as to say that Tennessee running the hypo system cannot win a national title. And the reason why is because that system is built to basically bridge talent gaps. Hypo came into a program with 30 something percent blue chips. There's still not a blue chip ratio program right now. There's 16 who are that have more than 50% blue chip players on their roster. Tennessee is not one of them. And so Heipel came in there and he put an offense in place that is designed to, you know, kind of uh, not have to go up against elite players and, and trade blow for blow. Um, the offense, as I see it for Tennessee, is – and this isn't to say that Tennessee hasn't, you know, like they, they, they were very good offensively last year. I'm not saying that they were not a productive offense last year. What I am saying is that their offense is predicated on running a bunch of rules. And if they day comes where Tennessee starts recruiting five-star offensive linemen across the front, then running the system that they're running would be, an absolute waste of that talent because what Tennessee is doing really is like, they're, they're, they're playing a numbers game. If you put more people in the box, then they're going to try and throw bombs downfield. If you more put more people into the back end, then they're going to try and run on that light box. And as you saw with Georgia last year, uh, the, the best teams with elite studs on the defensive line, they can, they can defend Tennessee's run game with five offensive linemen. And if Tennessee gets to a spot where they have, I'm sorry, with five, with five in the box, four defensive linemen and a linebacker or three defensive linemen, two linebacker, whatever that looks like. Um, but if, if Tennessee gets to that spot where they have all those offensive linemen that are elite players, then doing this in my personal opinion is a waste of time. Like if, if they have those guys, they should vary their run schemes and, and they should impose a physical style and they can force man coverage on the outside and, and do a hundred different things to influence the defense. But if they have a lead offensive line, then they should be able to run on an eight-man box. They shouldn't be worried about, oh, well, if there's, if there's more guys inside the tackle box, then we're going to flip it out here for a screen. Like, Tennessee's offense is what they run on any given play is just as much dictated by the defense's formations or personnel packages as it is by what they want to do. And it's also somewhat dependent in certain games on trying to catch a player with his head turned or, you know, getting a signal from the sideline and then the ball is snapped because of the tempo and Tennessee is able to, you know, Get a get a freebie, easy touchdown, and when you have thirty something percent blue chips, and you're playing Alabama or LSU or Georgia, like you you do, you need that. But I think there is a misconception by Tennessee that by Tennessee fans, I should say that like they can just continue to ride this wave into being competitive for a national championship the ceiling of what they're doing right now is nine or 10 wins a season. I believe we saw the ceiling of it last year. And uh, you saw in that South Carolina game, the the drawbacks and you saw it in the Georgia game too, where like that offense with that tempo, a it's clearly vulnerable to uh, crowd noise and false starts, but B if they get in trouble and they start getting on strings of three and outs, you, you see them, punt over and over and over again. And there there's not enough time for their defense to a rest, but b make the adjustments that they need to make. And so they're really hanging their defenders out to dry. Like the, the Georgia equivalent to that would be the 2020 Florida game where Florida went on that crazy run, I think in the second quarter and scored, you know, touchdown after touchdown because Georgia kept going three and out and they weren't able to adjust to what Florida was doing. They got into halftime. Adjusted and then gave up three points the rest of the game. So Tennessee's kind of prone to like basically, you know, putting themselves in a situation where other teams are going to go on a, a run against them. But I, I think their system is just as dependent on the defense failing as it is the offense succeeding. And elite teams, let's just take Georgia for example, they go and they break opponents by taking chunks out of them all game long. They do not play a game of deep ball roulette where they're, you know, just going to try and hope that they hit two to three long balls a half. And I think, you know, that's why if Tennessee does recruit big time talent on the offensive line or on the defensive line for that matter, then adjusting that system will be the smart thing to do and the right thing to do. Uh, When he you know, hypo system, in my opinion, it doesn't it doesn't dictate terms. Like it forces you to not be able to substitute and all that, but it's not going to break you over and over. And so it's a it's a game of variance. It's a it's a dice roll, is what it is. And that dice came up their way much more often than not last year. But like you look at games like the Florida game, where they got up big. And then they couldn't control the game because they they don't have an offense that can do that. They don't have an offense that if everyone in the building knows it's time to run clock, they're probably not going to be able to run clock against teams with, with equal or, you know, maybe better talent. So, um, Tennessee fans, I'm sorry, but it's how I feel. Uh, you know, I, I had – a friend who is a, uh, a Tennessee fan kind of getting my mentions and he was like, well, can't you understand that Tennessee fans are just like uh, very happy to win 10 games a year right now after being in the wilderness for a long time? Yeah, I totally can. I get it. Like it's way better than uh, what you guys went through for the last 15 years. But I think at some point you guys want to compete for titles at least on twitter you puff your chest out like like you're you are competing for national titles. So if you want to do that, you either need to realize that Hypel is a bridge coach until the guy comes in that actually is going to install like a a style of of play that can go and win titles and that can develop elite talent or Hypel evolves. And maybe he will. Like, I don't know that yet. I can't say that he's not going to evolve, but, um, you know, I've seen all these messages and tweets about like, well, Jalen Hyatt won the Bolidnikoff last year. Yeah, he won the Bolidnikoff last year, and he still went in the third round because the NFL doesn't think what he did at Tennessee translates to the NFL because, you know, in the NFL they're going to need some guys that can do more than run, go routes and slants. And same deal with Hinden Hooker major questions from a lot of NFL people on, you know, what's his pre-snap readability because his coach is standing on the sideline and screaming at him, telling him what check to make at the line of scrimmage. And then all the decisions that he's making after that are based solely on the rules of the system. It's, you know, where, where the DB is, is going to dictate where the slot receiver is going to run his route. Georgia, jammed that they played inside Leverage on Tennessee slots, forced them outside. Hooker wasn't able to deal with that. Tennessee wasn't able to deal with that. Um but like selling big time recruits on this offense is going to get harder year after year after they you know they see guys come in and put up giant numbers and they're still mid-round draft picks even even though Jalen Hyatt is huge and lanky and long and ran a freaking 4 four forty. He went in the third round because nobody knows if he can really play receiver in a pro-style offense that requires, you know, a, a larger route tree and, and varied skills. So, like, yeah, you guys are – Tennessee is going to sign some good receivers because receivers like to put up stats, but – Um, I'm very interested to see how the thing goes with Nico because I think he is a he's an incredible talent could be a transcendent level player I also am curious if you know he goes and has two to three exceptional seasons and then lands you know in a similar spot draft wise to hooker because he's he's not really reading defenses he's he's looking at, you know, one half of the field and then hoping if those guys are covered, there's going to be a running lane that comes open in the, in the A gaps that he can take off straight on. So we'll see what happens. All right, moving on. Uh, I got a bunch of questions from you guys. Um, from our dog central subscribers. I am obligated to uh, encourage you to subscribe to dog central. Um, I'm also obligated to tell you about home field apparel. Uh, They are our partners for the 2023 season. Uh, Lots of big plans on the horizon with them. We are going to do uh, a big live show uh, in downtown Athens on the weekend of the Missouri game. So get ready for that. Love to see you guys there. And Homefield Apparel. Just simply put, they make awesome stuff. Um, I, I've got a giant box of of new Homefield shirts on the way to me, so you'll you'll see the, me wearing those pretty much every time I'm on the air moving forward. But uh, you can use the code Dogs Central twenty three two three, and you can get twenty percent off on your first order from Homefield Apparel. Um, season's coming know everybody likes to get geared up, get ready for for fall and football season. So definitely check out the Georgia collection from Home Field Apparel. They just added another nine shirts to it. There was already a bunch of stuff, cozy sweatshirts, uh, really, really good fitting stuff. So give it a look, please. Um, Rhett Womack says, Justin Williams is a dog tomorrow. Rhett, I agree with you. I believe he will be a dog tomorrow. Um And we have been telling our dog central subscribers that for like, I think before anybody in the industry, actually. So you should probably get over there, check it out. If you're not already. All right. Uh, Hunter asks, you can't say Tennessee or Ole Miss, who would you pick to upset UGA during this year, during the year? I'm sorry. Who would you pick to upset UGA this year during the regular season? If UGA had an upset, uh, well, if I can't pick Tennessee or I'll Miss, you kind of, uh, like, you know, it's, you're cutting down my options here. Um, I am going to go, I don't think it's Kentucky, even though people are excited about Kentucky, there was a lot of Kentucky buzz at sec media days this week because they seem to feel very good about Devin Leary and they do have some good receivers. Um, I just don't think Kentucky playing the style that Kentucky plays, which is very Georgia-esque, is ever going to be Georgia. Like, you're, you're not going to be Georgia, Georgia's game. Um, so, I would say Missouri. Missouri played Georgia better than anybody last year, save for Ohio State, right? And I'm actually high on Missouri. Um, when I filled out my preseason poll for media days, I, uh, I had Missouri third in the East. Georgia one, Tennessee two, Missouri three. So Kentucky four, South Carolina five, four to six, Vanderbilt seven. In case any of you were wondering. Um Harry, you said the you said the thing that I was about to say, which is that Kentucky lost a host of offensive line men over the the offseason. Um and I think that like that's that's the thing that I look for in a Kentucky football team when I'm looking for a Kentucky peak year. Uh, I want to see veterans on, on that line of scrimmage. I do like that they've brought Leon Cohen back because uh, he did a very good job for them in 2021. Okay. Uh, this is an interesting one. Um, Geo asks, too deep at offensive line looks like what? We're losing four. We in this scenario is Georgia to the draft after this year. So just wondering who steps up and who is getting meaningful snaps in the second half of games this year. Um, I think, you know, your, your starters at offensive line, I think, are pretty obvious in four spots. Uh, right tackle, Mims, right guard, Rattledge, center, Van Pran, Left guard is going to be Xavier Truss. Uh, and I, honestly, individually, I've heard good things about all of those guys this season Um, I'm sorry this off season just in terms of work habits. It sounds like Marius Mims is even freakier than he was before with his uh, just kind of where his body is and the work that he's put in, in the weight room. So I think that you're going to see, you know, I think Georgia's offensive line, their starting five is going to be maybe the strength of the entire team. Uh, Who comes after that? Uh, i think you know the the left tackle position is going to be a battle between blasky and ernest green i would give the edge to ernest green right now um so i think you know blasky would be your if we're going too deep now we'll say blasky left tackle blasky or green but i'll i'll just guess blasky um i think at left guard uh they really really like michael morris a lot um Think he's a guy that ninety-five to ninety-eight percent of college programs would be starting right now, and then at center, um, I think that's a that's actually a spot that uh, Blasky has worked some as well. Maybe Blasky, maybe maybe Jared Wilson. I don't know. Center's tough, um, and then past that at right guard. Uh, Georgia still – they like Dylan Fairchild a lot. I've been told for, like, two offseasons now that pound for pound, he's one of the strongest players on the team. We haven't seen a ton of them, so I don't have a strong opinion either way. But uh, Cedric Van Prandt told us at media days that Alou Ba has turned himself into a very good player this offseason, which uh, I thought was very interesting because he did not do the thing where he lists off, like, every one of his teammates and says – that they're, you know, they're great or, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I think he loves his teammates and respects them, but like he specifically singled out Ba So, um, that's what I'm watching. And I, it made me curious if maybe Aluba has been working some at center as well. Um, after that group, uh, I think, you know, I think Georgia, the spot that they really have to stay healthy on the offensive line this year is the tackles. Um, I think Blasky green Mims is three guys that they obviously would feel comfortable playing. But after that, I'm not sure if they would feel super great about throwing the rest out there. And I would say, you know, uh, Monroe Freeling, true freshman, former five-star might be the guy that would be next in line there. Um. Opalite dog says, I don't know who else you interviewed, but did anyone from another program particularly impress you? This is talking about SEC media days. Um, you know what? There was a couple guys that uh, really did actually, like, stand out. I think maybe the one that stood out to me the most was uh, Anaya Smith from Texas A&M, wide receiver. Uh, just really honest and charismatic. Talked very openly about um, what's gone wrong for them, and uh, you know, was asked basically, kind of, you guys have all this talent, why hasn't it come together? And the uh, the answer that he gave was, you know, COVID happened, and then like this new NIL thing happened, and then all these kids were coming into the program, and them and their families, all they were worried about was was getting IL money. And we had kids that weren't going to class. We had, you know, just basically like widespread culture issues that took them time to, um, work through and deal with. And so I was pretty shocked at him saying that and just kind of saying like, you know, we, we had all these guys come in that really, uh, didn't, didn't cut it. And, and didn't um, do the things that they were supposed to do and didn't take directions and weren't coachable. And we feel like we've weeded those guys out. I don't know if they have or not, but if he's right, I think that bodes very well for Texas A&M in 2023. And uh, I did put them second on my preseason ballot in the SEC West. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think Bobby Petrino is – if I, whatever you think of the dude, and you probably don't think highly of him as a person, but the guy can call ball plays. He can. And so I think uh, A&M is going to have something this year because the, the talent they have up front is second to only Georgia in the SEC right now. And they don't have to play Georgia. So they got a shot to – to go on a run that's going to surprise some people, in my opinion. Moving on. I've recently heard Tate Ratledge on his podcast and Cedric Van Praan at Media Days hype up Chaz Chambliss and specifically how hard he is to block. Is he poised for a breakout year? This is from our friend June Recruiting Fearmonger, still the best username on the Dog Central forum. Uh, If one of you, a challenge any or all of you to uh, to come up with a better one. Um, I think Chambliss has always been a very good pass rusher. Uh, that goes back to like two years ago on the, the 2021 G-Day. Uh, he really stood out to me for some of his rushes. Thought he looked very, very good. Um, I also still have questions about his uh, his run defensibility. I think it's also fair to say he was not healthy at times last year, and I'm sure that affected his play. Um, but I, I think he's a bigger leader than people realize. I think he's a, probably a better player than a lot of people realize. Um, he had a couple games last year where – He sort of, you know, in the run, in run defense, he did what I would call taking up bad space. Uh, Instead of setting edges, you know, he's collapsing too soon. uh, You know, biting on zone reads too early. And then there were times where he played things very, very well. So like any player, the more he plays, you know, there's going to be an acceleration to the growth curve. So I I think – he could be poised for a big season. I can tell you, he is one of. Actually, I'll say this. I'll say this like not one of. I, I think he is the biggest leader that Georgia has in their outside linebacker slash edge room, and those young guys really, really rely on him to help them understand the scheme and the work habits. And with the talent that Georgia has in that room, just signing, you know two five stars and a very highly ranked four star in terms of edge prospects over the, well, three, five stars in the last two years at edge, right? With, with Marvin Jones, Jr., uh, Damon Wilson and Samuel Mpimba. Pimba. And I think uh, Jones and Wilson are probably going to see significant snaps this year. So I think he's a very important player to the program. And uh, I think he's a guy that they trust to, to be out there and, you know, might be your, your starter in that spot on opening day. What are the question marks that you see position group wise going into the season? Some say quarterback, some say running back. What does Graham see? Great question. Um, the, look, it's all relative with Georgia, right? Like the preseason all sec team came out and they had over half of the first team defenders. And you know, they, the, the SIDs have to, put the school like they have to basically nominate players on their team to be able for you to be able to vote on them in all sec voting. So like Ra Thomas and Dominic Lovett were not on the all sec preseason ballots. Um, maybe cause they transferred whatever, but like point being there's, there's talented players at every position. The big question, uh, and this, this really is going to tie into the next question that I'm putting up here. Um, which is about losing Jalen Carter, that's the question. Like, that. that's the, the question that people who cover nationally, cover, cover college football, you know, for, for other outlets or, you know, cover other teams, like, that's the question that they want to talk about last week was how do you feel about Georgia's defensive line? I think Georgia's defensive line is better than people probably – give it credit for. Um, you know, I I think that they were strong team last year. Like I, I expect them to, you know, I, I, think Carter took up so much attention, right. That I get like why you have to ask and they don't have a Jalen Carter on the roster right now. Nobody does. Okay. um, but I think, like, there's there's a lot better players left in that interior D-line room than people realize. And his near stackhouse should obviously be getting shout-outs in that, in that realm. But, like, Warren Brinson is still a very, very talented player who, you know, has been kind of that traditional three-tech, uh, more pass-rushing defensive tackle. But, like, you sort of started to see him put it all together at times last year. And I think he can be a guy that can two gap and, you know, get in there and and play the run. Well, the one that I think I'm most, uh, high on in terms of like, if this guy hits, his ceiling is way up here. Probably first round talent would be, um, Tyron Ingram Dawkins. Like he was a five star for a reason. And I think there were times uh, last year in Fall Camp and early last season where like they couldn't quite get him where they wanted him to be from a just like a habit standpoint and a consistency standpoint. And it sounds like he's there now. And talent wise, like he has the speed to speed rush Broderick Jones off the edge and win. We've seen him do that. And he also has the ability to, to jump gaps on the inside and he has the size to two gap. Like he has the ability to do a lot of the things that Jalen Carter did for Georgia last year. So I think that's my big question is we know Stackhouse proven commodity, Zion Logue proven commodity. Like there's a lot of really high floor players in Georgia's interior defensive line. Does somebody come into the picture that is a high ceiling player that, makes those like two plays a half that really make you go, wow. And, you know, blow up a blow up an opponent's drive. So, um, yeah, I agree. Uh, One of the comments here says the backup D line in the national title game looked great. It did. It definitely did. Um, Okay if you could see, this is kind of a fun question. Uh, if any of you guys watching live want to weigh in in the chat, please help yourselves. Uh, this is three questions. So we'll go one at a time here. If, if you could have any single player from another team, who would it be and why? Um, that's, that's like a, I mean, I'm assuming this is, you know, who I would put on Georgia's roster. Um, i'm trying to think um, like I, I mean, I, I think if I'm staying honest to the, the conversation that we just had, then you know, uh, it would be someone in the interior line, right? Like I think that that's maybe where they've got the the most questions, but I don't know that there's really anybody else in college football that's like that transcendent defensive line player. Like I said earlier, there's not a there's not a Jalen Carter on this team. So, or I'm sorry, there's not a there's not a Jalen Carter in college football anywhere. Uh, maybe like a really good um, receiving running back. I think that's one of the questions that Georgia has this year is like one of the things that Georgia does that nobody else really does at the same level is the way that they block on the perimeter. And with Kenny McIntosh last year, they were able to take advantage of, of what they were already doing because they could just flip the ball out to him. Anytime, anytime an inside linebacker didn't follow him or was a step slow following him and, he could make them pay for, you know, a 12 to 16 yard chunk at any point in time. I, so I, I guess, you know, I would uh, pose the question to the chat. Maybe who is the best receiving running back right now? Corey Williams says twin I'm sorry. Quinshawn Judkins. Um That's a good one. Yeah. Like that. I mean, he's a, he's a stud. Uh, there's no question about that. Let me see who, Which running backs had the most receiving yards last year? Well, Kenny McIntosh was second in the country with 509 receiving yards amongst all running backs. First was Evan Hull, who I think is gone, the Northwestern kid. Deuce Vaughn. Um I don't know as to to who I would put on George's roster from another team right now because I think George's you know some of the conversation we were having earlier about like is this a Georgia guy you know um in terms of the intangibles and the work ethic and the play-by-play type stuff, so sorry, it's a boring answer. Do I think Mackay Muse and Cass Jones will get used much this year? Um, I think Muse will be used in some special teams situations as a return specialist, uh, and you know, I I could see him getting four to eight slot snaps a game with the first team offense, Uh, I think he will probably, you know, be one of those guys that puts up big numbers with the second string when Georgia's up large in some of their games. Um, And I think that with Cash Jones, uh, if Georgia stays healthy at running back, it's hard for me to imagine him playing a ton, uh, especially with Savon Clark withdrawing from the portal and coming back because like he's a, he's a dude that can really play that can make plays against Georgia's first team defense if he gets the right blocking. So I don't know. I mean, I was there on the sidelines uh, down there when cash Jones uh, had the big touchdown against Vanderbilt last year to cap that game off. Like, I think he's a talented player. I just think if Georgia stays healthy that with Branson and Andrew Paul, you know, I know Branson's going to be kind of limited, most likely to start the season. But with Paul and Milton and Dejan, uh, you got a really good, probably three-headed monster there. But I wouldn't be shocked, especially if he blocks well. That's how you get on the field at Georgia. Uh, which players have a chance of getting drafted in round one for Georgia this year? I mean, uh, Javon Bullard, Nazir Stackhouse. Um, here. Jumas uh, Johnson, Smile Mondan. Uh, perhaps Kamari Lassiter. That's probably it for the well, I would, I'll put Ingram Dawkins in that category as well. Because I think if he plays up to his potential, then he could really go off. Uh, on offense, I would say first round, uh, I think Amarius Mims is probably a guaranteed first rounder. Barring something very su- surprising. Um, and then I would say Van Pran. I don't know center positional value isn't very high. It's not as high in the NFL, but uh, I think Mims and Ratledge could both be first-round guys, honestly. Um, I think Van Pran, you know, will probably be the first center taken. I just don't know if if there will, like we were saying, you know, if there will be the positional value there. Dominic Lovett has first-round potential for sure. Uh, And then Brock Bowers, obviously is a first rounder and this is going to get you guys excited. Carson Beck. He does. He's got the size and the arm strength. If he puts, if he puts it all on tape this year, he could definitely be a first round quarterback. All right. Uh, let's take one from the chat real quick. Which wide receiver has the most yards this year? This is from Corey Williams. Uh, I'm going to say Dominic love it. That dude just like separates consistently all the time. Um, if Georgia wants him to be, I think he can be a thousand yard receiver. I do. Like if if they're willing to play him into the second half of some games. So yep. All right. We got two more left from the subscribers. Uh, if you could pick a team to be a B writer for based solely on the personality of the head coach, who would it be and why? This is a fun question. Um I mean, I said earlier, I really enjoyed Sam Pittman at media days. He's funny. Joke's about, you know, he just doesn't take himself too seriously. A lot of coaches, uh, you know, not only do they take themselves too seriously, but they're also like, there's this extreme paranoia of the media. And, you know, A, how am I going to be betrayed? But B, is my, you know, rival or is my next opponent going to find out something, uh from the you know from the media about my team right so that kind of puts a damper on a lot of guys that i think could be like very fun um i I mean, you guys know, like, I live out west, so like, I'm very, uh, very big on quality of life, and geography and landscapes being part of quality of life. So, like, there's, you know, I, I think one one program I'm very interested in that this is maybe not going to be that interesting to some of you. I'm sorry, but like, I'm I'm very interested in what Kenny Dillingham does at Arizona State. Everyone kind of agrees that's like a sleeping giant and uh it's a it's a beautiful area down there. I mean Phoenix is a it's a big ass city in the middle of the desert with a bunch of concrete and it's hot, but like you get, you know, 15 minutes outside of it in any direction and there's a lot of beautiful stuff. Um my wife and I are actively like trying to basically trying to live the the snowbird style life uh cuz she is now a remote employee as well. So um you know, I think it'd be fun to be in Arizona for a lot of the fall. would be pretty. I don't want to be down there when it's 120 degrees, though. Um, I I think it would also be very interesting to cover Colorado for the next couple seasons with, with Deion Sanders. Um, everyone has strong opinions about him. Which you know usually leads to people consuming your stuff, so I think I think that would be fun. And uh, yeah, I mean maybe if I had to pick an SEC team, I would probably have to go with uh, with Lane Kibben. But it's a fun question. Thank you for that. What you got, Lauren? All right. This is from Sauce House Dog. What kind of sauce are you serving up, man? I want to, if you got some barbecue sauce, hit me up. I'd love to uh, try it out and then pitch it for you. How disruptive do you think our interior D line can be this year? Scale of one to 10. Lots of talk about interior D line today. This is good. Um, The philosophy of this show, or of me, I should say, is that like football, for all the changes that have happened in the sport, over the recent decades and the, you know, the air raid spread revolution game is still one from the inside out. If you can't, you know, I don't care how good your quarterback and receivers are. If your offensive line can't block the guys across from them, then those quarterbacks and receivers are not going to be able to do what they do. So uh, I think, The thing to understand about Georgia is that sacks are very rarely the goal in any given play. Uh, and, and sometimes that, you know, I think that that's a mistake. I think that was a mistake in the start of the uh, Ohio state game. Georgia also made that mistake in the 2021 sec championship game where they, they kind of set back and they didn't, you know, kind of forced the issue right they set back in uh soft coverages they didn't try to play press on the outside and they got picked apart rushing three and giving guys like bryce young and cj stroud a lot of time or you know if they did get off the side you know come off the edge on one side then they weren't keeping contained on the other edge and Stroud or Bryce Young was was rolling out and creating more time and and then picking Georgia apart that way. Uh, adjustments, right? You saw Georgia adjust into the national championship game after the SEC championship lost to Alabama in 2021 and start, you know, basically started that game out, bringing pressure, you know, bringing at least five on every third down, enforcing the issue and saying, Maybe we get beat like trying to bring too many guys, and you know, Alabama hits us for a slant, and our defensive back misses a tackle, and this guy goes 70 for a touchdown. But sure as hell, aren't going to die a slow death, you know, kind of death by a thousand paper cuts type deal. So, um, I think you go to the 2022 Ohio State game, and after that first drive of the second half, all of a sudden, Georgia started bringing the house and they were Um So, I, I mean, I think my point in saying all of that is like, it's very rare where it feels like Georgia's interior D line is trying to create sacks. Uh, a lot of times the value in Georgia's D linemen is their ability to play two gaps at once. Um, and Stackhouse and Carter against Tennessee last year, being able to, control the A gaps and the B gaps, being able to basically go off either shoulder of the guard in front of them. Like that is really what Georgia's is looking for. And that is disruption. I'm sorry. That is disruptive because it allows Georgia to play. You know, they don't have to bring six and seven guys up near to the the football to stop the run. So I think in that regard, I think Georgia's, we know Stackhouse, proven commodity. I think George is going to find guys that are going to do a good job of controlling the run and controlling gaps. Um, from a pass rush standpoint, I think that Brinson and Ingram Dawkins have a chance to be special. Like we've seen those guys jump snaps, jump gaps, get into the backfield, create havoc plays. So, um, I will say it's Georgia and they're probably going to have the best defensive line in the country. And so to, to give them anything less than like a eight and a half out of 10 would probably feel silly, even though I did give you my caveat as to, you know, why I would kind of hesitate a little bit to call them super, super disruptive. Um, Just trying to see if there's any other questions in the chat here. Uh, tough stuff asked about Williams Nenari recruiting update. Um, I got something about that going up on the Dog Syndrome Forum uh, later on tonight. So check us out uh, this evening into tomorrow morning and give you the latest on what I know about him and some other guys. I also, have a pretty in depth post uh, with just kind of interesting things that I heard from SEC Media Days. The latest on some recruiting, on some other uh, high priority Georgia targets. Uh, also have in the in the update that I will do tonight. Uh, I got a piece of information that I think uh, will be a pleasant surprise for a lot of you. Um, so give it a read, dogcentral.com, when you get a chance. Other than that, I think we are done for today. Really appreciate all of you for joining. Uh, we had a lot of. A lot of you watching watching live and joining in the chat. It was a lot of fun to do this. Uh, we'll be back probably Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, Going to try and make sure this is at least twice a week um, as we move into fall camp. And uh, we'll also be doing some uh, season preview win total type stuff here soon. So thank you guys for joining. Uh, dogcentral.com. Also, check out homefieldapparel.com. Use code DOGCENTRAL23 for 20% off your first order. Uh, even if it's not your first order, Homefield says if you use a different email than the one you did the time before, that nobody's going to be any of the wiser. So check that out. You guys have a good rest of your weekend.